Warriors gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering, Cabal Therapy, Careful Study, Altar of Dementia, and many others, battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live and TheEpicStorm.com. Welcome to episode 15 of the Eternal Glory Podcast. My name is Anzi D, and I'm here with Bryant underscore Cook. How you doing this weekend? I'm uh, pretty good, but it's not exactly the weekend. It's Wednesday. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, Wilson, how are you doing? Wilson? You there? Oh... Awkward. Looks like Wilson's on his way to TwitchCon this weekend, so he's not going to be here. But don't worry, we've doubled down, and we've got two special guests today uh, from the Grand Prix itself, which is, I guess, what happened this weekend. No surprises. Uh, there's a lot to lot to unpack here as we go into today's episode, uh, where we talk about our Grand Prix experiences, and we talk with uh, special guests. <coughs> Hidden information. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, before we do that, let's dive into the quick hits. As usual, uh, we got some donations from, I mean, you guys already know, Dick Fisher, Sugar Daddy, is definitely covering us with two donations uh, from last week's episode and this week's episode. And then we also have Dougal Warby, a.k.a. Dugs on Twitch. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, or you can catch him streaming some Maverick action or just like fair creature-based magic in general. Uh, so thank you guys so much for your donations. Uh, at Force of Phil really does appreciate it. Uh, he's our editor, and that's where your dollars go to to make this podcast crispy clean. Um, so as usual, Bryant, I, I mean, obviously, like you were at the Grand Prix. I was at the Grand Prix. Wilson was at the Grand Prix. Our fans were at the Grand Prix. But what else was going on before leading up to, I mean, because we did take a little one week off so that we could schedule this episode this week to talk about our GP experiences. It's been kind of a crazy week, uh, or I should I say a couple of weeks. Uh, the last three weeks have just been between like work and personal projects and Star City Game Syracuse, Magic Fest Atlanta. I feel like I've been constantly on the run and constantly traveling. But when I did have my own downtime, I actually decided to build my own desk. I uh, bought some tools and just made it happen. I didn't like the way that my office or my home, uh, I call it my own nerd room, was set up for streaming slash recording, so it is now optimized for creating my own legacy content by building a desk that isn't up against a wall. So that's what I've been spending my time on. Yeah, back back in the day, like a couple years ago, I don't know if you guys have seen my setup, but I kind of went through like the same thing. And I can tell you, like having your own customized furniture is just a godsend compared to like I don't know, just like the generic IKEA or pre-built, whatever pre-built pre pre whatever stuff. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's see, what have I really been up to? So LPL was announced earlier today, uh, so that's going to be starting on October 2nd, and this year I'm taking the role of uh, producer, I guess, since I'll be the one behind the scene navigating woo, woo. Yeah, navigating all of the uh, the OBS stuff, the behind-the-scenes technical stuff, so 
looking forward to that. It's going to be a blast. Um, wait a minute. LPL. Waiting. That sounds really familiar. Legacy Premier League? Yeah, yeah. I feel like somebody last season in season three of LPL took home the trophy. Was that was it, it was Wilson, right? Wilson won the LPL? I thought it was Jarvis. Oh, snap. Uh, just kidding. Brian, you actually took down the finals last uh, last season, right? I did. I uh, didn't play any Storm either after week one. I decided that I wanted to show my range. So I played a lot of uh, trolly sort of decks like Eldrazi, Miracles. That is a troll deck. And uh, Dredge. The last few weeks, I lost one game out of 12 matches or six matches. I'm not very good at math. Mm, that's that's actually pretty insane. I mean, cool flex and okay, I guess. Am I allowed to do that? Uh, but yeah, no. So LPL starting up. That's going to be super awesome. You can check that out on uh, twitch.tv slash it's Julian. A lot of work has gone into this, and we've got a pretty stacked roster. Uh, so, so be sure to check it out. Um, what else we got? Uh, as some... Hold on a second. As someone who uh, does design slash development for a living, I think Julian and whoever he got to do the graphics this year went way over the top. It looks amazing. The animated gifts of Rashad and Port, Caracas, everyone having their own pixel person. It lo- it just looks incredible. Julian really knocked this one out of the park. Yeah, I sure love those gifs of Caracas and Ancient Tomb and and Rashad and Port uh, and. We're going to have to get a new uh, host for this podcast. Yeah, bye, Bryant. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no, but for real, though. And I, to the point where I, like, I'm curious like how I could even get in contact with them because it was it was a really good trailer. So, yeah, mad, mad props. So uh, a couple weeks ago when Star City Games Syracuse was happening, Wilson and I did not do very well. And we ended up at a bar where I posted a picture to our Twitter account of Wilson with two drinks, one of which was mine. But our... Twitter fans seem to really enjoy it, so maybe we should do more stuff like that. I know that we met Eric Burlett at uh, Magic Fest Atlanta, and some people, other fans were wondering how they could possibly meet us. So if you see us at an event, just come up and say hi. That's all Eric did. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Actually, what one thing I was doing at in Atlanta is I had like a bag of goodies, and anyone who was like, hey, what's up? Nice stream, nice podcast. I'd gift them like these awesome cards so shout out to everybody who came up and said hi honestly like it, it is really really awesome to just meet every one of you guys in person and um i don't know it just makes it really worth it uh you guys were all super positive super awesome and uh it was a blast meeting you guys i uh, hope you guys enjoy you know the giveaways and uh i'll catch you at the next big event i guess yeah if i knew that you were giving things away i would have talked to you Oh yeah, it was kind of like an impromptu thing. To be the tr- the truth is, I was supposed to give them away like over a year ago. Like I just bought all these cards uh, from 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 Japan when I went when I visited, and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna finally do it." So I did it. Nice. So uh, why don't we start date by digging into the feedback from the last episode? I'll take the first one. Was a little disappointed that Bomberman only had a brief mention in the 90 minute metagame discussion. This episode will not age well after I top eight Star City Games Syracuse and Atlanta back to back from F711, aka, AKA Eric Burley, aka Drake, right? Because oh my god, that's I I love this kind of stuff. I love it when people just like they've got the ball in their hand and it's like called shot, and then you know you wait Air to ball. see what happens. Uh, but uh, 
No, I actually did see a lot of Bomberman in the event. I mean, like, it was one of the more played Chalice decks in my mind, um, or at least it was on my radar in terms of things that I need to to beat. I mean, we obviously know, like, how the deck has just gotten significantly uh, boosted with the addition of Karn, the Great Creator. Uh, so I, I, I do like, um, you know, how it was looking going into the event. I mean, the top eight shaped up... I mean, we'll get into this discussion more, but the top eight sh shaped up uh, pretty nicely. Unfortunately, no copies of Bomberman. How, did it do well at Syracuse? I believe that Eric actually ended up taking, I want to say, like 18th in the Open. So he had a pretty good finish. Uh, I don't know how Eric's uh, Magic Fest went, but okay. he at least a respectable finish in Syracuse. Yeah, very respectable. Congrats on the 18th, Eric. Well done. Well done. I do know that Jody Keith lost to Dave Long in the finals of the Sunday PTQ mm. playing Bomberman. Right. Okay. I remember that too. I think he 6-0'd the Swiss and then like, I don't know what his top eight match was, but he beat uh, Hogak in the top four and then lost to Dredge in the finals where apparently Dave, like on turn one of game three, just like flipped over half his deck uh, and then... As one does. Yeah, <laughs> as Dredge does. Uh, so... <clears throat> So the next comment is by Reddit user Stoneheart, who says, This is fast becoming my favorite legacy podcast. Shout out to Anu, your boy, for convincing me to run two rest in peace in my Stoneblade sideboard, which have been fantastic, as well as three twoing with my other deck, Merfolk. On a different note, will there be an EGP Discord at some point? I'd love to engage with other listeners and potentially even the hosts in real time at some point. So that's... Awesome. I'm glad that the rest in pieces have been doing well for you. I tried them out online at some point and like they, they were just like completely crushing Rug Delver, which I think is a pretty, is probably the, the deck to beat currently. Although this is a random aside, but it, <clears throat> in terms of like decks to beat, Rug Delver is certainly less powerful than all the other prior decks to beat compared to the field, right? Like Miracles and like Rixus Delver. But anyways, and, uh, and I'm glad you appreciated the uh, the Merfolk content as well. Yesterday, I think, yeah, it was yesterday, I streamed an interesting list. It was Junk Beatdown Elves, which was like a very Maverick-styled list. So for people who are um, interested in that kind of stuff, I mean, I didn't do too well. Obviously, it was mostly pilot error, but the deck definitely looks super sweet. Um, so I, I think I'm just going to start branching out and playing other, other decks. If you have anything that you're interested in, you know, watching me play, hit me up. Let me know. And uh, So I do know that uh, my boy Sammy Rooks, played two to three copies of rest in peace i don't know what he settled on for the magic fest but played rest in peace in miracles uh, he opted to run a deck without uh red and six in the main event so uh, something that i guess i didn't really think of is if you're choosing to play rest in peace in your miracles list you're kind of forfeiting the extreme late game option of accumulated knowledge and instead you're kind of forced into running predict which isn't awful but you do lose a little bit of points against the field in order to make yourself better against these run and six Termagoyf decks that are all over. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I myself played AK this weekend. Kind of just realized last week that um, the card is just really good against Delver. And that's where I wanted to be. So I chose AK over rest in peace. It worked in one of my matches. It didn't work in another one of my Delver matches. Um, actually, I played Delver three times. So it worked in two out of three. That's good enough for me. Uh, so yeah. And regarding the Discord, Stoneheart, uh, we should get that set up. We also need to talk about like, getting a Patreon set up and things like that. But 
I'm an old fogey. I don't want to do these things. I don't like the discords. I don't like the Patreons. I just want to be grumpy. Think about the listeners, Brian. All the chill. I mean, listeners, Brian. Come on. Uh, no, but that's a really good idea. And uh, I guess the three of us will talk about it in the in the uh, in the background. So we'll let you know when we know. And uh, yeah, thanks for asking. And let's see the last <clears throat> piece of feedback. A little bit of a textbook, so I'm gonna just like you know. Uh, be concise about it, but from Reddit user Lasso1 says, thank you for another great episode. In the section later in the show, you talk about how to beat certain matchups like Ad Nauseam Tendrils or Black Red Reanimator in a mix of talks about cards like Veil of Summer and Rest in Peace. We agree that Rest in Peace looks good in the meta right now, but in what decks and with, uh, and you know, sorry, what decks can run the card with minimum drawback? Um, And then there's also a little snippet about how cards like Nile's Spellbomb and Tormod's Crypt uh, might not necessarily be the end-all be-all against Ad Nauseam Tendrils like I had sort of put it as, and I definitely agree with that that uh, piece of feedback. Um, <clears throat> but going back to what we are talking about earlier, so regarding Rest in Peace, I think that the, the primary decks that are going to be, like the, the top-tier decks that I think that can run it, include, uh, let's say, Stoneblade, Miracles, and Death and Taxes. Is there anything else? I think that's about it, to be honest. Maybe, but no, Bomberman wouldn't run it because they play uh, the lines that I'm into combo. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna shut my mouth now. Yeah. The other, I don't know. If this is maybe another fringe deck, but you know, like there's a Bant food chain deck that randomly popped up out of nowhere. Is that another deck that I could also theoretically run it? I mean, that's not top tier, but this is like I'm just thinking, what deck could play Rest in Peace and do well? I don't want to discuss card choices if we're just gonna throw out uh, tier seven decks because oh, then we're gonna have to keep on bringing up Nick Fit. <laughs> just not a good luck. <laughs> well, you know what? White Nick Fed can't play Rest in Peace anyways, so I'm glad we got that out of the table. But yeah, those are the three decks that I think would play it. Um, and if you're looking, at least for last week's event... Oh, there's also the Jeskai Mentor deck, I guess. That, that one is... That deck is the same deck as Miracles. I understand that they're slightly different, but like, if you're sharing 52 cards, you're the same deck. Okay, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I uh, I tried playing Rest in Peace in my Red and Six deck, where I would board out Rest in sorry would board out Red and Six every time I boarded in Rest in Peace. It was a nice thought experiment, but I ultimately opted on the power of AK instead. So yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, th- th- that's pretty much it. And then let's see. I think that wraps up the feedback from the last episode. So I say... So, uh, hold on. Hold on. I'd like to talk about your uh, Star City game Syracuse. How do you do there? But um, but Well, I went undefeated in the Swiss portion of the event. Uh, I slept in till 11, woke up, turned on coverage, and had a blast. It was fun to watch, but I didn't actually get to play. Um, how about you, though? I feel like you were there. Actually, you already mentioned you were there. Yeah, it was not a good weekend. Started out pretty hot, defeating Rug Delver. Felt like I was on top of the world. Next round, I got paired against Death Shadow, which has traditionally been a very bad matchup for Storm. Uh, unless you draw your cards that actually say Storm, it's pretty tough between having discard spells, counter magic, and then, you know, Plague Engineer, things like that. So I got crushed. And then I got paired against a person on Black Red Reanimator who said they don't even like Legacy and they didn't want to play in the event easily two owed me and uh my event was over at that point at least mentally i punted the next round because i was so defeated about my start and decided to go get drinks with wilson but i would like to give a shout out to anthony laverde who took 20th or 21st in the open 
I probably should have listened to Anthony. He was saying how good Basic Island was practicing for that event. I actually didn't get to practice a whole lot because I had a lot going on that week. But Anthony had figured out that Island was almost necessary for the rug decks that were super popular. And his finish clearly showed that he was right. Yeah, so actually, I want to. I just want to like briefly address that sort of mental fatigue is so real um, that you're talking about, like how you were just like you said you're like out of it after like two losses, right? That happens to me all the time, and honestly, that's something I should get better at. Uh, usually, when I'm knocked out of top eight contention in in most events, I just like stop caring immediately, and it definitely shows in my play. Um, so I just, just glad to know that I'm not the only one. I guess in some future episode we could talk about how to sort of overcome that, but. Uh, I don't know if that's the kind of thing that, you know, any of our listeners also experience, you know, just let us know in the comments below. So for the notes, I put punted What my punt actually was, is that I resolved Echo of Aeons against Blue Red Delver, and I was at nine life. I have Storm 22, actually. or I'm sorry, uh, like Storm 14 or something ridiculous, like a very high number. And I go to cast Burning Wish and my opponent forces it. I have empty in my hand. But the way that I was so tunnel visioned, I was like, their Delvers are going to flip and they probably have Bolt. I'm just dead. So my opponent forces my Burning Wish and I kind of just like picked up my cards. And then like the second I picked up my cards, I was like, I set up my turn like this for a reason so I could cast Empty for 28 and pray to not die. Uh, My opponent's Delvers did not flip. They didn't have Bolt and I would have won game two. That said, there would have been a game three where they were on the play, but I was still in it. But instead, like I was so defeated about my day at that point where I just didn't care. And my play showed it. Uh, in general, I would say that I didn't have a whole lot of fun at Star City Games Syracuse between the main event and the side event. Just the games weren't super interesting. I didn't really feel like I made a whole lot of decisions. I kind of just got crushed or did crushing. Did very little of the do crushing. And the games, I just didn't feel like... I actually got to play Magic, I guess, and I know that's silly coming from the combo player, but there's usually some sort of interaction in every matchup, even though people like to pretend that that's not the case with Storm, and it just didn't feel like that way, at least at Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, and this is not necessarily related to what you're saying, but like on a larger scale, like on a macro scale, with Ren and Six being such a definitive pillar of the format, it just kind of feels like games are either about Ren and Six, like interacting with it, or just ignoring it altogether. So, I mean, like, if you look at, for example, like, Delver, like the Delver Mirror, right? You know, Ren and Six is definitely, like, an important thing about that. But then you've got a deck like what you're playing, like Storm, which is just trying to, like, not, like, pretend like Ren and Six isn't even a card kind of deal. And it just feels like we've sort of uh, homogenized the range of interactions that we can have. It's, like, either this card needs to, you know, be good against the Ren and Six matchup, or, or it's just, like, you know something very very like uh proactive like like a storm sneaking show that kind of thing so i i, I don't i don't know that <clears throat> the format itself is like in a pretty healthy spot there's nothing that's absolutely like crushing the format you know there's no miracles there's no grixis delver but is it fun now that that, that that's a tough question to ask um and, and and to answer uh i'm in a mixed position regarding that so i don't know Yeah, I also don't think that you deserve to have fun all the time, which is a difference between myself and uh, some listeners and posters that uh, leave feedback on Reddit. Just because something's not fun for you doesn't mean it's not fun for someone else. Mm. And fun is a uh, zero-sum game. Yep. So I ruin a lot of people's fun. Trust me, I'm well aware. And 
I think Ren is completely fine. I know a lot of people are screaming for it to be banned, but got to give things time to shake out. It's been, what, two months? You can't just go screaming for bans that shortly. You kind of have to give people a chance to adapt and metagame and all that good stuff because Legacy is slow to adapt. It's just the sad truth. Um, well, I'm going to ask you a question on the spot real quick, Brian, and that is what do you think is the most zero fun, uh, sorry, zero sum fun card in uh, in Legacy? Card in particular? Yeah, just anything. This is just a four fun question. Chalice of the Void. I don't think either player has fun when it's like, I don't think Chalice players enjoy playing Chalice decks and everyone hates playing against them. So I was going to say like Tangle Wire. The player that has Tangle Wire in play, in play is probably having a blast and the other person is just like, oh, God, oh, damn. You know what I mean? Uh, tank- Maybe I didn't answer correctly. Oh, whatever it is. Um, But okay, cool. So I guess uh, let's transition to my tournament experience. So I obviously didn't play in Syracuse, but I did get to play in Atlanta. And uh, full disclosure, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because that would just take up so much time. But I did have, I do have like the full tournament report and the VODs of my Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv slash onz104. You know, check it out if that's interesting for you. Uh, I will break down what exactly happened in my in my tournament on just tournament experience. So going into this event, you know, I had moved to the West Coast uh, like about a year ago. Something about being on the West Coast that I had noticed like, you know, over time was that there's not enough like big legacy events, um, which is what I usually go to to grind, uh, you know, Planeswalker points for buys and things like that. So going into this event, I actually had a whopping zero buys. Uh, I felt like 150 points short before the May reset. And I was really nervous because the last time I went to a Grand Prix without buys, uh, I went like two, three drop, albeit that was my first legacy Grand Prix ever, but you know, still it was like kind of, kind of shocking slash nerve wracking. So <clears throat> I entered the Friday PTQ, uh, with the hopes of obviously going six, zero top eight win, you know, pro tour, win the pro tour, uh, that kind of thing. But you know, they also said, you know, if you go five, one, you get two buys for the event. So this be thus begins my Friday experience. Um, I arrive at the venue about like half an hour before the event starts, and I'm running around looking to buy an FBB plateau. I find it five minutes before the event, and then I get a game loss because I was I just didn't like I just didn't sleeve my deck, didn't have my deck list written down, and uh, it was really really embarrassing. Like the most underdog kind of thing that could ever possibly happen. Um, You're leaving out part of the story here. What what part? You were running around the room screaming, I just bought a plateau. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I, Brian was just like down the hall and I was like, oh, check it out. I got an alto piano. And Brian was going to say like, hi, I haven't seen you. And I just like walked off after that. Um, so that that also is a very underrog part of the story. Um, but but anyways, I sit down for round one. I'm paired up against Ely Cassie and I'm just like, well, you know, all right, I got a game loss. I'm probably going to lose this match because my opponent is like really powerful. Um, game two, I, you know, you know, whatever the rules are. He goes, turn one, Vista, pass. Turn two, fetch an island, brainstorm, concede. And I was just like, okay, I guess I take that. Like, I don't know. Like that was, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So um, he, he actually thought the event started at like 12. So he wasn't completely ready. Hadn't fully tuned the deck, which I'll tell you what it was. Game three, he goes turn one island, turn two planes, Iker Wellspring. Brian, what deck is he playing? Sorry, turn three, 
he plays another Icar Wellspring. KCI? Turn four, he plays Urza. Ding, ding, ding. Actually, he didn't really play Urza on turn four, but it, it makes it sells the story a little bit. So, no, he played a Ratchet Bomb for my uh, Ren and Six, ticked it up to two, and then blew up his Icar Wellsprings and drew cards and killed my Ren and Six, uh, which is pretty exciting. I mean, I got... I, that That was a pretty back-breaking moment. Fortunately, Accumulated Knowledge drew four cards that match, and uh, and I won. That sounds awful. Well, I don't know. He he. I asked him about the deck afterwards, and he was just like, "Yeah, I just took the, I took the, uh, the modern deck and tried to make it a legacy deck." He had some cool cards, like he went transmute artifact. I was like, "All right, this resolves." And then he got defense grid, and I was like, "Well, I shouldn't have let that resolve." Um, so yeah, that's what our boy uh, Phil Blackman ran in the main event and at Star City Game Syracuse. Ooh, all right. That's what I'm talking about. But <clears throat> yeah, I also played against Mono Red. Um, my one loss in the event was to Aluren that had, um, so are you familiar with like the Imperial Recruiter build of Aluren that had like Cabal Therapies was four color? That's uh, what it was several years ago before Death Ray Shaman. So my, my opponent, I think it was your friend. He showed you the list beforehand, but, uh, he had three main deck Velo Summers. And so he had cut the Cabal, the, the whole black package and had three main deck Velo Summers. And I think I saw a main deck Flusterstorm that he'd pitched to a Force of Will. Um, needless to say, I got completely crushed. So is what it is. Um, and then I also battled against Jeskai Mentor, something else in round five that I don't remember. And then in round six, my winning in for the buys, because I was 4-1, I played against Black Red Reanimator. And there's something about playing against Black Red Reanimator where you can just feel your hope, like just get drained out of your body. Uh, my opponent went like Gristlebrand in game one and I was like, all right, this is it, I guess. Um, but in games two and three, Game two, I think they chose to animate dead a Grave Titan over a Gristlebrand, and I had the Swords to Plowshares in my hand, so I got super lucky. And then for the main event, I'll sorry, I'll try to keep this short too because I know I'm rambling, but uh, I started off 5-0 with the two buys, but picked up my first loss to Daniel Mayo on uh, Rug Delver. No, Rug, no, Rug Infect. I'm sorry. And so that's like, uh, he's been on, he's played Infect before, and, uh, you know, he just, I add red and six to every deck. It just gets better. Uh, this was a game. This was a match where I actually like punted pretty badly, uh, stacked a ponder incorrectly, and um, I, I I don't know. Like maybe I'll get to this in a little bit, but it, it kind of just like it still sits with me like that I I made a mistake here. Um, and then in the next round, I lost to a Death and Taxes player who resolved Palace Jailer in game two and drew like seven cards off of it or something like that. It was pretty brutal. So I'm sitting at like you know five and two. After a 5-0 start, just like thinking, is this how it ends? And my round eight opponent, Brian, is playing Goblins. And I found this out the hard way because they went Cavern of Souls, Goblin Lackey, Attack, put Cranko Mob Boss into play. Reveal Terminus. No, so this in this event, I actually was playing Supreme Verdict over Terminus, which kind of came back to bite me later on. But uh, uh, yeah, so I, I get lucky in this match as well. My opponent whiffs on a critical ringleader flip in one of the games and uh in, in the other game i think ren and six was able to take control so it's pretty it's pretty crazy how i don't know just like ren and six uh just warps certain matchups or if i was playing regular miracles so full context i should have mentioned this i was playing the four color snow white deck the disney deck that i like to call it as um and it's it's pretty crazy if i was playing regular miracles i probably wouldn't have had that kind of op those kind of options available to me so Mad, mad happy that I played this list. Um, but I was able to win, and then we day two'd, and 
just like a high level. My day two matchups were Rug Delver. I lost. It was the first round of the day, so I was knocked out of top eight immediately. Blue Red Delver, Death and Taxes, Four Color Control, Goblins for a second time in the same event, and uh, Four Color Control. So clearly, based on my matchup spread, uh, Goblins is as tier one as uh, Four Color Control and uh, and and Rug Delver. Um, I actually watched your Goblins match. And you masterfully won game two in a position where I thought you were behind and then you dug and you dug and you got ahead and then you closed the door very quickly and your opponent conceded. And then your opponent started off game three after you kept a decent hand with turn one lackey, turn two, sling gang commander plus, uh, oh, what's the name of it? Crater maker. Yeah. And then turn three played another bomb and I just walked away. I was like, there's zero chance. It was the this. roughest thing. And so I played against Mike Hatley, who is a like a veteran goblin aficionado. Um, and the way this guy played, I, I gotta give props because I was really impressed. Like, I don't think anyone else really impressed me that much when we were playing in the tournament, but he definitely did. Uh, and it's exactly it's just sort of like the motions that he used when he played it. Like he went turn one cavern goblin uh, goblin lackey passed, knowing I couldn't do anything. Turn two, I passed, my hand was like Ren and Six Brainstorm and Ponder no plow so it connects and like you mentioned he just like slammed everything onto the table in like one like gush moment it was it was nuts he was attack slam my sling gang lieutenant make my two goblins play the crater maker untap uh it was like chieftain right chieftain is the one that yeah gives plus, plus one plus one in haze yeah kill my ren and six d- hit you for a bunch of damage next turn play goblin sharpshooter sack my goblin untap it sack uh tap it again sack my goblin untap it tap it again i was so de- i was dead like 10 times over before i could even cast supreme verdict so um very impressed um and just like in summary i think my highlight plays my favorite plays from the event uh i got to veil of summer and abrupt decay targeting my ren and six that was nice i got to do that twice in the same ma- uh game so that was double nice i mean cryptic command is a powerful powerful card and then also at one point in the event i was able to ultimate my renin six and retrace ak for three like multiple times i think it was against the black red uh, reanimator opponent and that was that was actually just it's it's such a good feeling to draw six cards in one turn like oh man uh Uh, Oh, and then lastly, uh, props to the card Monastery Mentor, because I think it won me a lot of games or put me in winning positions in a lot of games that no other card would have. So I was actually watching one of your matches because I've been watching Sam Rukas play a lot recently. And the way that you two play Monastery Mentor is very different. And I actually mentioned, wanted to talk to you about that at the event, but I kind of just forgot until now, where Sam plays it very aggressively to get ahead. And the way that you play, you kind of hold it until you're confident that your opponent doesn't have anything, and then you play it and you get like six monks in one turn and win. Where Sam's kind of just like, well, if you don't answer this, I win. I'm not saying one is right or wrong, I'm just discussing the differences between the two play styles. Yeah, I think, like, so for anyone who really knows, like, my history with Miracles, you you probably know that I'm not a huge fan of Monastery Mentor, although I think the tide is slowly turning, and maybe it is, like, a necessary evil into my best friend, Frank. Um, but the, the thing is, is, like, the way I look at the card is, like, I've just been burned so many times, like, tapping out for Mentor on turn three when I have nothing else to do, or, you know, just like, hey, maybe I can, like, cheese a win out of here. It just, it very, very rarely works for me. Uh, to the point where I think I may have been like conditioned into like playing it super cautiously. Although there are definitely situations where, you know, you are a hundred percent supposed to just slam it on turn three and be like, you got it. 
Um, but I, I try to avoid those situations. Do you think that changes with some... force of negation? Um, that's a really good question. I haven't really done too much calculus on it. I don't remember if Hans Jacob was playing misdirection in his deck. I don't know why I'm mentioning this, but uh, for, uh, for force of negation, I think doesn't really change it because abrupt decay is still, still technically a card. But I guess it does make lightning bolt. Like if you untap with lightning bolt, then it's a little bit worse to force of negation. You know what I mean? Because then I get a monk. But I don't know. The idea of force of willing to protect my monastery mentor is not really where I want to be, if that makes sense. I want mentor to naturally be good in the situation rather than having to force it through because that's just like overstepping sometimes and you can get very punished for that. So yeah. Um, and then I guess the last thought is uh personally like i finished 11-4 in the grand prix which is about average for my expectation this is a little bit below average um which which kind of just sits with me like in terms of like improving as a player you know sometimes i i, I this sort of just, like this performance kind of makes me wonder if i'm like plateauing or how to sort of break that plateau um you know i did make some pretty big mistakes in the moment and it's it's kind of funny how just like the mistakes that I made are like seared in my mind, even to this very moment right now, where I can tell you the exact board state, like, you know, my opponents and like all the details behind it. So I don't know, I'm just trying to like channel all of this, uh, all of these emotions into something positive, which is, I think, you know, probably a really good, I, I hope that's like a good outlook in terms of improving for future events. Um, so yeah, I don't know, could do better. Um, but I am very happy with myself because I took a deck that I think very few players played in the event or very few players have you know even like dared to touch and i think i did pretty well 38th place is, is not too bad so I'll, I'll take it as um you know just like a minor this is the first time i didn't register terminus in a legacy grand prix here's how i did kind of deal how did your event go brian well i also played the friday ptq i lost round three to blue red delver the games weren't close my opponent just had everything sometimes that happens uh i specifically remember losing game one or game two to turn one spell pierce turn two no rod and i was like well maybe i can empty twice to win this my opponent had double force of will for things like right of flame and i just got crushed uh and then i lost the last round uh which would have put me at five one similar to you to matt vuk ozzy mendez 17 uh the famous four color alone player from magic online uh, the games weren't close. Matt mulliganed two, Chow zero, Chow's one, and I did nothing. Then game two, I kept a hand that could interact, but ultimately did not get there. So that was my PTQ. 4-2, eh, it is what it is. Uh, the main event, I started off by losing to Black Red Reanimator, which is very similar to how my Syracuse went. And the very next round, I got paired against an opponent that I knew was on Drudge because I had seen them in the PTQ playing against one of my friends. Robert Wilson is a friend that lives in Columbus. I was chatting with him in between rounds. He's like, don't drop, don't drop. You might as well play for Planeswalker points. And I know that we're midway through the year, and I know that my local events are no longer sanctioned, which is how I traditionally get all of my Planeswalker points. Like the last few years, I've finished uh, somewhere around 4,000 Planeswalker points. But I play a lot of locals, and now that they're unsanctioned due to allowing proxies, I didn't really know where I was at. So I decided I'd play another round. And Julian's asking me what I'm, uh, Julian John is asking me what I'm doing sitting down in the loser's bracket at, uh, what was I at the time? 2-2? Two, 2-3? Two, two, something like that? 3-2? I was 3-3 three, three at that point. I'm sorry. And 
I mentioned that uh, my deck's not very good against graveyard decks, and in fact, when I did have time to test in between the last few weeks, between building my desk and the Syracuse Open and everything I had in my life, I was losing a lot online to Black Red or Animator, and I've kind of like, tilted off a little bit about it over the last few weeks. I just hate that deck. It is super unfun to play against, and it's I don't think it's rewarding to play, ultimately, for a lot of people, and... Even my Syracuse opponent, as I said, was like, I don't really like Legacy. This is just an easy deck to play. I imagine if you're at Eric Landon's uh, skill set, it's not the same because you're making more complex decisions. But that doesn't it doesn't require that in order to beat me. You just have to be able to put a Gristlebrand into play on turn one or turn two, and then I lose. So I told Julian, if you're playing Reanimator, you can just have the win, and he flips open his deck box. The card that's first revealing to me is Entomb. I shake... Uh, his hand and that's it wow yeah so i decided i had had enough and i was kind of just like raging at that point about how much i hate black red reanimator and i was at dinner with uh, anthony laverde and sam rukas and some other people and i said to myself i'm going to play tormod script and i know it's kind of silly but over the last few years dating back i don't know it's got to be like three years at this point i've always had the mindset of if a matchup's so bad, you should just look to dodge it rather than trying to fix it. And I think Black Red Reanimator has become so popular, partially due to the Versus Live video, where they were advertising it as a deck that costs under $1,000, but is tier one. Like, the number of people playing it has just gone up. And I can't just look to dodge it anymore. At some point, you have to, you know, look at the harsh reality of your deck's not good against something. You should try to fix it. So, in the Sunday PTQ, I play Tormod Scripts. And they were pretty good. You were going to say something? Yeah, question. Why is the dredge matchup not good? Uh, so the dredge matchup is a little different from Black Red. It's really uh, die roll dependent, and I did not win the die roll. My opponent won the die roll and discarded half my hand on turn one. Uh, game two, I won on turn one, and then game three, they turn one me. That, that's combo matchup. So uh, I don't. I uploaded a video to the Epic Storm YouTube channel. Uh, where I talk about my deck choices and our, my deck decisions and stuff like that over the last few weeks, because I've played three different deck lists in the three events. So going into the PTQ, I played a third deck list, and I am a superstitious person, so going back to the format playoff where I took 10th, I feel like I never do well whenever I decide to play Snow-Covered Basics. I know it's super silly, but over the last like two months I've been playing Snow-Covered. In the format playoff video, I switched back to my Basics, took 10th. I played the PTQ, the Star City, and the main event at Magic Festalana with Snow-Covered Basics. Did kind of poorly in all of them. PTQ, switched back to my basics. 501 in the top 8. Uh, I know it's like a silly superstitious thing, but like, I don't think br the name Bryant Cook is gaining anything by trying to pretend that I'm 4-color control. Like, if you don't know what I'm playing, I'm probably going to beat you anyway, and I'd rather just play with my own cards. I don't have good justification or anything. It's just I like my basics and I feel I'm very much like a good luck, bad luck person. It's why I wore that Mets hat a couple of years ago uh, when I was on that heater to every single event I went to. That's the XJ cloud theory too, right? John Ryan Hamilton refuses to split his planes between uh, snow covered and regular planes. Uh, and that, that drives me crazy, but I get, I get where you're coming from, right? Like at some point you're just like, whatever. It's like a half a, not even half, like a 0.1% uh, 
you know, gain or whatever, I'm, you could just eschew it or whatever, or choose to forego or whatever the correct lead rhetoric is. You get what I'm trying to say. But I, I, I hear you. I see you. Yeah. And that comfort zone. And then I made a really small change in my main deck that wasn't related to my sideboard changes. I decided to, in the main event, I ran three Myers in one turn. Actually, one of the matchups that I lost was to four color control. I didn't talk about that previously, but in game one, I had drawn three Myers after getting wastelanded twice by run, and I didn't have another legal target in my deck. And if one of them was a Tarn, there was a good chance I won that game. So I decided in the PTQ, I'd run a 2-2 split between Meyer and Tarn, and it was perfect. Like, there was multiple times where I opened up with Tarn and Meyer, was able to get both basics in my deck, and just, it was perfect. I can't say anything more about it. And uh, credit to Anthony for really forcing me to play Island. It was a big difference maker all weekend for me. Uh, I faced a lot of Rug Delver, and it was an all-star. I got to sit and play with Swamp Island, Mox Opal, Chrome Mox, or Extra Fetchlands, and just not be vulnerable, I can't say that word right now, to Wasteland. Uh, It was just a big difference maker. Yeah, and given how prevalent Ren is in the format, which, you know also means that Wasteland is very prevalent. I really like that change too. I know Anthony and I, we 5-0'd together with uh, the, uh, the Epic Storm on stream a while ago. And like immediately after, he messages me and he's like, hey, after playing this, like, do you think it's crazy to put a basic island in? And I'm just like, nah, that's that's what I want to hear. Basic island is is a very elegant, graceful, scholarly card. And, and Anthony was like, I I got you. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, So yeah, cool. Congrats on your PTQ top eight. That's nuts. Thank you. So I was immediately rewarded for switching my deck in the, in my rage tilt uh, because round one, I win the die roll. I cast dress and my opponent immediately just reveals Entomb Reanimate and some other black red reanimator cards. I'm like, I will be taking your Entomb, leaving you with a hand that doesn't do anything. <laughs> and then uh, game two, I had the Tormod script which bought me enough time to win. Nice. Uh, I beat a couple of rug decks due to defense grids. I actually cut Hope of Giripper for the PTQ, and I ran an extra defense grid in the board. Uh, the basics were huge. And uh, round number five, I got paired against Robert Wilson, the gentleman who convinced me not to drop so that I could face another Black Red Reanimator deck, and I got my revenge. <laughs> um I was going to say something. I think it's kind of cool. Also, Tormad script, uh, like over surgical because it has synergy with things like Mox Opal or or you could put it into play like dodge discard kind of deal. Like, Yeah, you hit both uh, major points right on the head. And the tertiary thing would be that it's a zero for ad nauseum. Okay. I like that too. Nice. Nice. And as I mentioned, uh, if you're interested in watching the full breakdown of my decklist updates, head over to the Epic Storm's uh, YouTube channel and get my in-depth uh, analysis. All right. So then for the next section, let's talk about uh, the top eight of the Grand Prix that just took place this weekend. Um, honestly, this was a really diverse top eight. Brian, I mean, looking from first to eighth, it seems we have the champion Cyrus Corman Gill on Ad Nauseum Tendrils, Austin Blackner on Rug Delver. Uh, Shin Tomizawa on Golgari Depths, Ben Stetcher, Stetcher? Yeah, Stetcher, sorry. On Burn, you have Colin Roundtree on Jeskai Mentor, and uh, sixth place, I, I forget, who 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 took sixth place at the Grand Prix? Jarvis Me. Nice. What's up, Jarvis? Uh, how you doing, dude? Congratulations, man. Sixth place at a Grand Prix. 
Uh, I'm not satisfied, but... <laughs> hey, I accept it. That's the grinder lifestyle, dude. Um, fun fact, apparently Bob said that uh, you are the first person to enter the category of uh, having five 1% finishes or better in Grand Prix. I don't know if I said that right. Uh, you said it right. And that that's actually a meaningful statistic because it's independent of the size of the Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. Good point. Good point. And so just to clarify, when I say like 1%, I mean like Jarvis has finished five times in the top 1% of uh, Legacy Grand Prix, right? So, for example, uh, GP New Jersey, while you didn't top eight that event, you did go 13-2, and two, which, you know, was the top 1%. So I think I think that's definitely very meaningful. And uh, uh, you're setting trends, dude. Got people got to catch up. Uh, so um, I think I ruined Jarvis's event. I told him that he was going to get another piece of plastic to put next to his current trophy, and then Jarvis shook his head at me and walked away. And I feel like I jinxed him. Ooh. Um, so real, real quick, in seventh place we had Daniel Espinoza on Turbo Depths, and in eighth place we'd had uh, Tarek Patel on Hogak, which pretty cool deck. Um, Tarek also top aided last week in Syracuse with Hogak. And um, Correct. you battled against Hogak in your PTQ, right? I did. I faced Cat Light in the top eight. And uh, unfortunately, my deck kind of didn't get there. I cast Echo Vans twice in one turn and then two Ponders going all in in the same turn and missed on both uh, when I was looking for a tutor effect. But it was a crazy match. Um, our match was probably over an hour long and we were playing fairly quickly. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, so Jarvis, as the guest, I'm gonna shoot this at you real quick, real fast. How you feel about? How do you feel about the top eight, the breakdown? Uh, what is your initial reaction about? Just like in terms of like the format legacy, what is it? How do you feel about it? Uh, I think it's pretty good. I think the people who are asking for cards for to be banned are probably overreacting based on Magic Online results and whatever. Uh, I have a pretty high bar for banning cards. And I don't feel like the current sets of cards that people want to be banned are reasonable choices. So, and I think this top eight sort of bears that out. Like you, you see a bunch of different archetypes from different, you know, macro archetypes. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, the one, one, one thing that I was talking about earlier in in, the, in this cast is that it just feels like it's it's either you are a deck that's trying to beat Ren and Six or you're a deck that's trying to ignore Ren and Six. Do you think that's kind of true? Yeah, I think that's a great point. If you just look at the top eight decks, a bunch of them, you know, play Ren and Six, all of the rug decks do. Ant is like, oh, Ren and Six, that's cute. We don't care. Golgari Depths, well, it depends on the exact version. They can care. They may not care. Burn definitely doesn't care. Dude, if you want to dirtle, you know, recurring lands to your hand while I'm lava spiking you every turn, that's really adorable. I bet Burn players are very happy to finally have a GP top eight and the finishes less thanks to Renin Six not doing anything. <laughs> is this the first GP top eight for Burn? Yes, it is. it is. Wow. Okay, it only took this long, but we got there. Um, yeah, and then even like uh, Tarek's deck, the Hogak deck, it just is just like turn two, you can play Renin Six. I'll play Altar of Dimension, just kill you. You know what I mean? Like, so that's just kind of an- uh, about that. I actually, we actually found that in the modern. Uh, matchup when Hogak was a fully powered modern deck, Ren was actually kind of good in the matchup if they didn't have bridge from below. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, all of their creatures are X-1s, really. And what we also found out was that 
the Hogak deck in particular, if you combine it with Rest in Peace or something, Ren is extremely effective versus them. And also, I mean, Tariq's deck is not clearly a port of the modern deck completely. In fact, when, when Ari and I first played the Hogak deck, when it was legal and modern, we joked, oh, this feels like a tier 1.7 legacy deck. And then people have been working on versions of it, and this blue version, I think, has some strengths and weaknesses, but it's a pretty strong deck, I think. So overall. let's talk about your event then, because, I mean, as as the sixth place Grand Prix Atlanta finisher, I mean, I'm sure you have a lot to talk about at this event. So let's let's start with, like, before the event even begins, right? Like, the weeks leading up to the event, what was your testing experience like? And, uh, I mean, what made you pick the deck that you chose for this event? The beginning of that story is probably like four to five weeks ago, whenever Modern Horizons you know, started making a real impact on the legacy scene. You know, I sort of just saw some friends, you know, crushing it with various Delver shells that have Ren and Six, uh, Max Gilmore and Lawrence Harmon both playing a uh, Rogue and Four Color Delver. I tried mm-hmm. both of the versions. The Four Color deck felt a lot more disjointed, and the mana's not quite clean. So I sort of settled on Rogue, played it in a Legacy playoff, um, played it in SCG Syracuse, didn't do that great there. Uh, then I took the week off between Syracuse and this event, just trying to predict what people were going to do, not trying to play more matches with my deck versus random opponents on Match Online. Okay. Yeah, I, I know you and I, we've talked about that, how just grinding your deck uh, endlessly on Magic Online has diminishing returns. So then tell me a little bit about this uh, sort of like prediction process where you like focus on the theory more than the actual execution. What are some of the uh, conclusions that you had made and how did it reflect in your deck? Uh, The biggest conclusion I came to, especially looking at Syracuse, is that Rug Delver was going to be everywhere in the winner circle. And if you really Mm -hmm. wanted to win the event, you needed to make sure your deck was like at least reasonable versus rug. And for that for me choosing rug, that just meant I wanted a better mirror plan. Hence the adoption of cards like Submerge in my sideboard. Um if going back to that event, I would probably just play a third submerge knowing what I know now. I thought two would be sufficient, but the a, th- a third would have been nice. Okay. Uh I actually don't have your list pulled up here, but were you like do you think so were you also playing Vapor Snags? Submerge against Dark Depths is somewhat passable, but I know that there's like some some Depths players will be like, oh, Submerge is kind of a joke. I can play around it kind of deal. But uh, where's your thought? What thoughts on that? Because Depths was another big player in Syracuse, right? Right. Uh, let me explain my theory behind that. I've played a reasonable bound of Dark Depths as well. The option to play around Submerge is not free for them. If they have a crop rotation, it is more free for them, but it's it's not like a slam dunk that they they just won't have a forest in play. Obviously, if they get to discard spell you and see that you have a submerge, the the whole jig is off the table. The problem with Vapor Snag is is that it's just not good versus a lot of the other creature decks. Take for example a Maverick deck with like Cavern Souls and whatever. You really don't want to draw Vapor Snag versus them because that that doesn't really solve the problem, which is an enormous knight just getting a wasteland every turn. It just buys you one turn of reprieve, whereas submerge, you know, kills the knight. Yeah, yeah. In response to maybe like a fetch land or the, even a knight activation, that's pretty clean too. I like both of those. Um, okay, yeah, I like that. Uh, your list also. Let's see what else is interesting about it. So 
Yeah, you've got that crop rotation package. I like that you've included Grafdigger's Cage as your sort of um, hate piece. Uh, that card recently just, I don't know why, but it just seems pretty good against all the the relevant uh, graveyard decks. Yeah. There's actually a lot of good things about it. One thing to note is that it actually shuts off Mystic Forge. It's the same wording as Cage vs. Experimental Frenzy. Uh, mm -hmm. Because the, the player's playing the cards from their library, so Cage shuts that off that is really interesting i never considered that uh it was one of the reasons i decided to play cage over that because i thought there would be mystic forge deck i didn't want to play another necessarily like naturalize effect is how i would qualify it you know ancient yeah. grudge and return to nature qualifies qualify as naturalizes to me also knowing what i know i would have gone back to my usual null rod instead of return to nature a lot of other mm. people told me return to nature was great I still disagree with that. I think it's just... It's flexibility is nice, but it's just a really underpowered card. Yeah, I mean, matchups like... Uh, I mean, like, exiling a Gristlebrand seems pretty cool, and maybe if you're lucky, like, a Punishing Fire um, or Life from the Loam, but... I mean, Nolrod, like, in the matchups where you would board it in, like, Nolrod against Storm just lights out, right? Nolrod against, uh, like, the, the Mana Rocks decks, or whatever, the Karn decks, like, lights out, so... Uh, I mean, definitely, like, when you have a sideboard and you want to have, like, very, very powerful, dedicated hate cards, Null Rod is certainly way up there compared to, to Return to Nature. So I, I, I like that assessment that you've got going on. Well, also for a deck like Rug, I think it's actually more important for your cards to be haymakers and not slight upgrades to, like, cards in your main deck. Mm -hmm. A card like Naturalize is not really significantly better than, like, Spell, spell Pierce, Spell Snare or even like Force of Negation, is basically the same card, except it costs you two mana. I cannot condone uh, this advertisement for Null Rod on this podcast. But you, you know I love a Null Rod. Probably. Remember back in the day where like there was that Null Rod Miracles meme? I actually thought about playing Null Rod this weekend in my Red and Six deck, and then I was like, eh, Astrolabe, but Null Rod, but Astrolabe. It was, it was a, a tough choice. I ended up not doing it, but it's just like in the back of my mind. Your boy out here. Do you have any highlights or memorable moments from the uh, Magic Fest? I, I actually do have a few. Let me, um, I think I wrote them down somewhere. Let me, let me see if I did actually. Uh, Jarvis is currently digging out his diary. <laughs> Captain's log, day 36. We made sixth place. My, my diary is a Facebook post because otherwise I forget all this stuff. Oh yeah, you were telling me about that in the event. You're just like, then I just send people the link, which is super, super useful. Here I am, like I don't even remember like some of my rounds that I played. Okay, the first uh, memorable part was I'm playing round eight versus uh, Greg Mitchell, uh, if you guys know who that is. Yeah. Game two is the interesting one. We've had basically identical starts. Like, we play literally the same, like, six cards in a row over, like, the first three turns. Then I draw my second copy of Submerge, and he... This was after he had pondered to set up a second Delver and played a second Delver. So by submerging his second Delver, I knew his first Delver wasn't... Or he already had a flip Delver, so I submerged his flip Delver. So I knew his second Delver wouldn't flip. And I barely won the race because I bought a turn of... Basically just him having 1-1s and him having to redraw this 1-1 that he doesn't want to redraw. Right. So literally in this situation, Submerge won you the game where Vapor Snag would not have. Yeah, I mean, obviously one damage can be nice in those sorts of racing situations. But I think literally since he was forced to redraw the card that he doesn't want to redraw, yeah. it was yeah. so much better. 
frankly. Is that is that tempo? I mean, it's actually a combination of tempo and denying your opponent a card, like drawing a card. So it's like sort of a weird reverse tempo, I guess. Next, the round after that is an interesting match as well. I play against an opponent who fetches Bayou off a of fetch, you know, whatever, and plays Noble Hierarch. What deck do you put them on at this point? Bayou Noble Hierarch. Uh, Brian, I'll let you take this one. You go first. I would probably put them on Maverick. All right. What if their next turn is Ink Moth Nexus Inquisition, you? Concede the event. Drop. <laughs> Wait, is this is this green-black infect? No, it turned out to be blue-green splash-black infect. Uh, because the turn Weird. afterwards, my opponent played Blighted Agent and a Cantrip. So okay. my conclusion was the black was just for discard. Unfortunately for my opponent, his Inquisition saw two Ren and Six, which is a really powerful card versus a deck full of X1s. Yeah, in my match against, uh, I played against Infect, and like, I, I played Ren and Six on turn two. They went turn one Hierarch, and I pinged down, and I actually got to burn and invigorate from my opponent's hand. So sometimes they have to do that, like if they, especially mm. if they need the mana. Like the, the the next game is somehow even less close. My opponent goes Forest Hierarch. Turn two does nothing, not even attack the Hierarch. I have a Ren in my hand. I choose not to play it because it, the the play pattern of no attack with Hierarch, no casting cantrip, no nothing indicates Spell Pierce or Daze to me. Mm-hmm. And then on my opponent's next turn, turn three misses a land drop, decides to tap out for Bite Agent, says go. So then I play a land and deploy my Ren. My opponent just sighs and he just looks. And then after the game, just reveals the spell pierce. Ooh, big brain Jarvis. It's like you, uh, read, you read your opponent like a book. I like that. Okay. Games tell stories. Like, why wouldn't you attack? Why wouldn't you cast anything? It must mm-hmm. be a spell pierce or a daze. There's like no yeah. other explanation, right? Uh, let's see. The last memorable one. Ooh. Well, actually, there are two more memorable ones. I, I'll tell them both real quick. Round 11, Mono Blue Amitel. Uh, we get into a counter well, war over the first show and tell. I have two forces, two blue cards in my hand, so I feel pretty good about it. So it happens. And then the turn afterwards, my opponent plays a land and plays Dream Halls, and I daze it. And then he basically just dies. Wait, your your opponent was playing Dream Halls? It just looked like a deck from like 2011 or what, whenever they used to play Conflux, you know, Cruel Tomatum, False Cure, whatever shenanigans. What, what round was this? O- 11. My opponent was 9-1. That is actually just insane. What? Okay. All right. Hold on. I have a quick story for you, Jarvis. It's actually my, one of my favorite Ari Lack stories. My friend Dan is playing in a Grand Prix. I believe it's Grand Prix Washington and... 2012 2013 and ari and my friend dan get paired and i want to say it's like round eight and dan wins the die roll he's playing dredge blind therapies ari on turn one names dream halls and ari just slumps in his chair a little bit and goes so you know and then concedes was ari in fact playing mono blue show and tell dream halls he was and he had two of them in his hand. wow that's brutal that's so brutal yeah that's pretty good the second game I, like, counter my opponent's first show and tell. Then on, like, turn four, my opponent has a fetch up, plays Cunning Wish. I waste their fetch, and they're like, oh, no, I know exactly what's coming. They fetch, I daze their Cunning Wish because I have so much pressure on them that I just want to 
stop them from getting like a bounce ball from my flip yeah. delvers. Oh man, that that's brutal. Actually, I I've been trained, and even now, like sometimes I just miss that that play. Uh, but trained to like fetch if I really need something to resolve to play around the the disgusting wasteland days combination. Uh, yeah. Uh, so basically, I left all of the wastelands in my deck because I want to take all of the like lightning bolts and rens out versus a deck like dream halls mm-hmm. because they. Those creatures don't do anything, yeah. I mean, really. At least, the, well, they have like random. I know lightning bolt shaving a turn off the clock might be relevant, but I feel like it's not about. It's not just about getting them to zero life. I mean, obviously, you're going to try to expedite that, that process as fast as possible, but like, it's more about like establishing control, if that makes sense, and like having an adequate pr- pressure, and 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 that's where Bolt isn't exactly doing the right job. So uh, one one last good uh, story from the Swiss. I'm playing against. A gentleman who I have on good authority is playing Ant, and all of their cards are white-bordered, so I'm absolutely sure they're playing Ant because I was sitting next to this person a few rounds in a row. I believe their name is Max Carini. The the games are sort of interesting. My opponent casts a discard spell on the turn. I think he's about to go off. Duresses me and sees basically force-force days. And he thinks for a while... And he takes my force of negation, starts casting things, then puts a um oh I, I had two dazes, that's why. Uh puts a pass and flames on the stack, and I do some math, a little a little bit of math to see what would happen if I let it resolve and tried to counter the first ritual. It turns out I would still die if I let that happen, so I force of will the thing. And I also determined that he was just one mana short of playing around uh me dazing a flashback past in flames to try to kill me. If he had exactly Lion's Eye Diamond as his last card. So that happens, uh, and I basically kill him with whatever cards I have in hand. Now, game two is even more interesting. I don't know what you would do in this situation, uh, Bryant, but here's my opponent's play. They go land, fetch, get underground sea, play three Lion's Eye Diamond, Cast Ponder, in response, foot 3, blue, 3, black, 3, red. So I'm thinking about this for a while, and there are two forces in my hand, so I just, I'm like, well, if he ponders into empty, I can't actually win, so I have to force the ponder. Also, my opponent's hellbent, and also I'm going to wasteland the underground scene next turn. So I'm, I'm thinking in a long time about why he would even make this play, and then I just show him my two blue cards. <laughs> did did, he, did, they, did uh, Max show you afterwards that there was an empty or something like that? So apparently his deck has a lot more tutors than a normal ant deck does. He plays mm-hmm. post board. He has two tendrils of agony, four infernal, two grim tutor, and two empty the warrens. I think. So that's like a lot of business you can hit off of a ponder right there. I yeah. think is why he did it. Unfortunately for him, like he decided to go all in, and I'm like, all right, call. Yeah. This is this reminds me of a time where we were testing. I was playing miracles, and you were playing Delver, and I had a ponder with like two cards in my hand that you had figured out were nothing. And then you force a will by ponder and had Supreme verdict on top and felt really dumb or not dumb, but bad. So yeah, this sounds a lot like that situation where sometimes it's actually correct to force a will ponders, you know, like it's a lot easier when your opponent has zero cards in hand, you know, you're, you're going to wasteland their underground scene. Yeah, that, that, that as well. Yeah. That was a no brainer. I, I think that was a pretty amusing story though. I actually talked to Max about it and his rationale made a lot of sense. I, I agree. He's just force checking me. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, his hand didn't do anything otherwise. So he had an infernal tutor and a duress. 
No, it was an infernal tuner and a gentles, I think. Because um, if you have a duress, I think you just duress on one, right? Well, he was telling me he didn't want to be. This is what at least I was told was that he didn't want to be forced into pondering off a basic island looking for a black source for duress and then needing realistically two mana sources so he can duress an infernal tutor all in one turn. Yeah, I, uh, I think once you decide to keep that hand, that is the correct Yeah, it makes play. sense. Also, just random shout out, but Max Carini is a wonder pro on Magic Online. I don't know if you've battled against him. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of cool just connecting the dots together, IRL. And so that's kind of cool. So all, all in all, I mean, like, it seems like you had like some really tight games. Um, what uh, what happened in the top eight of the event? My opponent was on the play because they had they were seed four versus seed five. I was actually talking to Cyrus about this. And I told him I did the math that he could actually scoop me into a higher seed and we would dodge until the finals. But yeah. uh, he chose not to, which is also his prerogative, you know. So I took the draw. I knew this would likely put me in fifth. I didn't know who would be in the fourth seed. But okay. I think a burn player on the play is not really ideal for me, especially since I saw his list and it had four main deck firecrafts. Like, oh god, this is like kind of a disaster because, first off, he also chose not to play any non-basic lands. It's literally just twenty. Mountains. Oh, so you can't you can't get like any chip damage off the lands or anything like that, right? It's less about that and the fact that. Sometimes they play like Barbarian Rings, so I can hope to like waste them. But if they just get to three lands and start drawing Firecrafts, I have really no good recourse. And that's yeah. sort of what happened. My opponent also just didn't walk cards into Spell Pierce or Daze, which I think is actually a key part of the matchup. If you wait to play your cards so their soft counters don't do much, you're kind of removing the advantage they have over you, which is using their you know, tempo-efficient cards. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm actually really nervous that with uh, Ben's really good performance, in fact, it's already coming to fruition that, like, in the Magic Online queues, I'll be running into a lot of burn. Uh, and and yesterday I was streaming with um, Edgar's four-color pile deck, and legit, round one, just burn. Round three, burn. Both times I conceded after turn one Goblin Guides, so I was just like, all right, uh, that's cool. Um, so. That sounds very good for me. Wait, is Burn a good matchup for the uh, the Epic Storm? I am over 88% in my spreadsheet. I think both Storm decks are pretty good versus Burn. The most important card from their side, I think, is Eidolon of the Great Rebel. Slash yeah. maybe Parasitic Pillar if they have that post-board. But I mean, I think real realistically, it's probably a good matchup for both of the decks. Probably slightly better for Tess than it is for Ant. Because just a quick empty is going to win a lot of games. There's one Magic Online user that I've lost to. I think I have like four total losses against Burn. I've lost to one player twice, maybe even three times, because they play uh, four main deck Volcanic Fallout, and that's how I beat Burn. How much combo did you play in the event? Because looking at the top eight, exactly the top eight, I guess. Uh, I mean, obviously, like the top eight is not the end all be all, right? You want to look a little bit further than that. I would say like all the, the 12 threes and better are reasonably meaningful results. Uh, but did you play against a lot of combo matchups? I mean, we know you played against... Uh, round three, I played against Esper, Echo, Beyond, Storm. Like, mm -hmm. within Tomb, you know. Uh, the white was for Monster Mentor. They played it versus me, and it, that's the usual card that they play in that deck. Yeah. Round four, I played against Blackguard Reanimator. Round 11, I played against Bonham Blue, Omnitel. Round 12, I played against Ant. So that's about... a third of my matches were against combo actually it's it's higher because i i should exclude the rounds i drew from 
games played, right? So yeah. it was actually about half. A little bit under yeah, half, that, actually. That's actually more combo than I've played against in a long... I don't think i played against any combo this weekend. I mean, in, in the PTQ I did, but like in the main event, I... Uh, I, I didn't. I, know, I played against Combo once. I played against Blackguard Reanimator. So, related to that, someone posted and like in a lands group and tagged me, and they were like, "The top eight would have been so good for you if you had played lands." Then I just linked them my literal pairings that I think I would have <laughs> taken like four auto losses. That if I had done that, the person was forced to concede the point that like just because a top eight is good for you, the like the top eight metagame is good for you doesn't like you have to get through the Swiss to get there. Jarvis, in uh the PTQ on Friday, I faced a gentleman who is running black lands. Uh they had thought seizes in their deck on top of spheres and force of vigors. It was very, very scary for me, personally. Force of Vigor is pretty good against me on top of spheres, ports, wastelands, and thought seas. Actually lost game two because my opponent had thought seas for ad nauseum that I was going to tap six mana sources and cast. So the, did it look like they had cut red from their deck? No, they had red as well. Uh, I asked them about it after the match, and they said it was based on a Japanese pros list. You've you played black before in lands, right? Like way back when? I... The, the problem with the black splash in general is your mana base is pretty bad. And I think that's more of a detriment than ever. Um, the reason I gave up on that deck is that I don't think lands is actually favored versus a competent rug pilot. I think that's a very dangerous place to be in. Well, Ren and Six changed that a lot, right? The The problem is, basically, you can get Loam Locked from a Delver deck way easier now than before. If they just yeah. counter your exploration, they it's very easy for them to waste you while just chipping away with the Delver yeah, or whatever. That's uh, a little bit frightening, actually, to think about. I mean, is that, like, so what are what are other edges that Rug, Rug Delver decks would have against lands? Like, I mean, you used to play lands so much, and now, I guess, like, after a certain point, it just, like, fell off, right? When's the last time you played at Richmond? I played it in a bunch of Magic Online events, you know, off and on. Okay. But the, the 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 real problem is, I think the adoption of Ren was so much better against lands than it is in lands. Because in lands, it's basically just a hard-to-cast Crucible of Worlds, in my opinion. And you're not really in the market for that. Only in a post-board game would you be in the market for that. I like that you said Ren, a red-green card, is a hard-to-cast Crucible of Worlds in the red-green deck. I mean, you're not wrong. It's just like kind of funny. I, the, the the secret of lands and the thing that people have not realized, oh, a lot of people still don't realize is its mana base is, is like stretched basically as far as possible. Yeah, that's actually super. I, I When you when you add Wasteland, Rishadon Port, and all the utility lands like Maze of Ith and things like those that. Those are all spells, bro. Oh, sure. Well, but what I mean to say is it's just like it feels more like a three-color deck than a two-color deck. You know what I mean? Like people call it red-green lands, but colorless is secretly like another aspect about it that I think um, I mean, it's a significant enough portion uh, where I would label it as such, right? Like, Yeah, I, I once made the claim that I think people don't force a well Mox Diamond enough, and I still think that's true, probably. I get nervous every time my opponent goes turn one Mox Diamond because I'm like, I wonder how this game would play out if I had just like spell pierced this or like, you know, forced it. Or, well, not forced it, but definitely spell pierce um, something like that. Have you, did you uh, play against any depths in this event? I did not, but I feel comfortable in that matchup, even though the data showed that Golgari was like 70% versus Rug. I just think it's a very tricky matchup to play correctly from both mm -hmm. sides. And it really, I don't know, like the Pithing Needles obviously helped for them. 
But the one thing to note is if you have a crop rotation in hand, they basically need two pithing heals. I uh, watched the top four match between Rug Deliver and Dark Depths, and I think one of the big reasons... I mean, obviously in Game 3, the Dark Depths player mulligan to five, and I think that, that played a big part. But also, like, uh, Austin had Caracas in his opening hands both times, uh, Games 2 and 3, which is... Very lucky to yeah. have your one of in your opener. It obviously warps the game around it because they have to kill the Crocus or do something or play a weird game. I saw something very strange uh, when I was watching one of Cyrus's matches. I want to say it was like round 12 or so. Cyrus was paired against uh, Turbo Depths with Elvish Spear Guides and Lotus Petals, all that good stuff. Actually, Turbo Depths, not Medium Depths or anything else. Uh, Cyrus's opponent casts Ashiok, passes the turn, doesn't plus. Cyrus untaps, has a look on his face, casts past in flames, proceeds to win the game because his opponent didn't exile his graveyard. And they're in the middle of sideboarding and Cyrus realizes that his opponent could never actually even cast the Ashiok. He cast it off Forest, Bayou, and Thespian stage. Yeah, Cyrus mentioned the story to me, but he said that he had actually Veil of Summer the Ashiok activation. And oh, then maybe I he- missed that. Yeah, yeah. And then he, had, like, he had a single preordain that he was able to use to find Infernal Tutor, so... Funny, funny note about that is the Ashiok exiling your graveyard doesn't it doesn't have to target you to do that. If the guy had just Ashioked himself, it would still exile all opponents' graveyards. Oh, wow, that's cool. But the the reason that I even am remotely aware of this is the Kethis deck in Standard used to Ashiok itself all the time to just mill cards. It would always just exile the opponent's graveyard every time. That is very cool. Yeah, the more you know. Okay, um. So I am actually out of questions for you, Jarvis. Uh, oh, I guess, so taking your list, because I know a lot of people are going to be curious, if you wanted to make like minor changes to it you know, for moving forward, I mean, GP Bologna is probably like the next big event. In fact, there's a whole slew of events in Italy around that time frame. But you, you mentioned that you would be interested in adding a third Submerge. Are there any other cards that you would like to add i guess maybe let me put it this way what overperformed for you and what underperformed for you so hate to admit it i don't think um in this specific shell like i don't have thought sees or anything i think arcanus is basically at its worst in this shell plus it's another mm-hmm. graveyard reliant card for the blue like the blue white decks love to side in so many rest in peace versus you or whatever yeah. so i'd probably cut that arcanus and just play another main deck spell pierce. Disclaimer, but we told Jarvis in order to be on the show, he would have to bash Dreadhorde Arcanist. So this is him doing his due diligence. Well, I'm not I'm not bashing it, I'm giving it its correct context, which I believe Arcanist is still really strong in Grixis shells specifically, because it pairs mm-hmm. naturally with, you know, Thought Season Inquisition and the like. Um but the the reason I want to do specifically this change is I get another sideboard slot if I move a spell pierce to the main, and that means I can play a third submerge in my sideboard, and I can cut the return to nature for a null rod, and I would probably want to make room for um, a second Grafdigger's Cage, if okay. if if the metagame goes where I expected to, which is. All of these Dover decks are really, really, really soft to fast graveyard decks, in my opinion. I don't mean like Reanimator. I mean something like Dredge or Hogak. I would okay. agree with that, actually. Yeah, I mean, Re- Reanimator is a graveyard deck, but it's a lot... It's not like... How do I explain this? 
reliant. Okay, it is definitely reliant on the graveyard, but the graveyard itself is not like an engine. You know what I mean? Whereas like the dredge deck will naturally just like dump its whole deck into the graveyard and like develop that way. I, I that that's just a really weird thing thing that I said. So I don't know how to. The best way of putting what you're trying to say is, I think, is Blackguard Reanimator consolidates the game for spells to be relevant to such a short time frame that it's better to have free spells versus it as opposed to spells that actually cost mana. So one thing uh, Sunday night over dinner, uh, some friends and I were talking about if the Hogak deck is here to stay, if it's really a good deck or if Tariq is just insanely good with it. I think the deck is actually just very powerful and people haven't caught on yet. I agree with that too. I'm not fond of all of the exact specifics of the deck. Uh, specifically, I'm not in love with the Cardhedron Crab, which I think is the real reason to play blue, but uh, props to him. Maybe he knows something I don't know. I do believe the underlying Hogak shell, like all those black creatures that are recursive and Hogak itself are just a really powerful oh, engine. That's one thing I wanted to ask you. You made a really interesting comment about the blue-white decks and them boarding in Rest in Peace a lot. How do you how do you adapt to that? Because you mentioned something very interesting that I don't think I had heard anyone else mention before. Against first all my blue-white opponents, I just showed them how I sideboarded, and they're like they all said that they didn't expect any rug player to do that, which is I sided out all my run and sixes in Tarmogoyfs. Or as many okay. uh, two Tarmogoyfs. Uh, the, the mapping didn't quite work out where I could take out all of them. Um, so I'd be a little bit low on threats, but that's okay because I'm replacing the threats with counter spells for their like bigger threats. So in one of the games, the plan worked perfectly. I just looked at my opening hand. It was like two hex drinkers, a true name, and like what, a spell pierce or something. My opponent just spends their turns two and three casting rest in peace. I'm like, you got it, friend. I'm just not going to care about my graveyard whatsoever this game. Yeah. And I, and I think that is part of like, that's just to me, like that's kind of why I like legacy, just like even magic on a higher level, that kind of adaptation is just freaking sweet. Like, you know what I mean? Like, cause rest in peace is really good against rug Delver and you kind of just transformed your deck into something that just doesn't care about it, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you actually see that a lot more in sealed decks secretly. If your opponent just has a deck full of two twos, you sh- you should just side in every two three you have. This is, yeah. is actually a similar concept, and that's why I believe playing sealed deck and other formats is just such a good way to get to ideas like that that are not immediately obvious if you just do the same thing over and over. Okay, cool. Um, well, Jarvis, thank you for joining us. Uh, we were. Very, very glad to hear you. All this sort of insight that you provided is super awesome. And I'm, once again, congratulations on finishing in uh, sixth place at the Grand Prix. That is super awesome. And yeah. Congrats on yet another Legacy GP Top 8. Yeah. Uh, thanks. I appreciate it. Hopefully I'll get another one to to lock it up. Nice. Cool. All right. Uh, thanks, Jarvis. Thank you. And our next guest for the episode is another GP Top 8 competitor, Ben Stetcher. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So, Ben, you played probably the most exciting deck of the weekend uh, to have to have a performance. Uh, you played Burn, and that that is interesting. Um, we were we just finished wrapping up with Jarvis, and it turns out you're the first player to ever top eight a Grand Prix in Legacy with Burn. So that is that is an amazing accomplishment. Very, very well done and uh, super excited about it. We got a lot of questions for you, so I guess we'll just dive right into it. Um, 
I mean, tell us a little bit about your magic background and how you got into burn. And then also, you know, uh, just like your experiences leading up into the tournament. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, first, thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to come on a podcast and talk about the event. So I started playing Magic back in the late 90s, pretty competitively, um, hanging out with high school friends and stuff. And then I took about 10 years off. So I started back again in around Innistrad and played competitively again. I ended up qualifying for a uh, Star City Invitational. And I think I did it through, yeah, I did it through Standard. Um, I found out I was going to go there and half the matches were going to be Legacy. I really didn't know much about Legacy. Like I said, I missed about a decade of cards. So I looked online, uh, decided on Burn since I still know how to cast Lightning Bolt and Fire Blast from back in the <laughs> 90s. And it, it actually did okay. I think I was maybe two and two day one with Burn and something similar day two. So I actually won a few matches. Um, other than that, my one of my best friends from high school, which was also back in the 90s, got really into uh, Magic again about the same time. So we started just buying up Legacy cards, playing a lot casually. And yeah, so I was pretty familiar with the whole Legacy metagame by the time, um, we, you know, within a few years. Um, yeah, so as of right now, I haven't, this GP Atlanta was the first time I'd played in about two years. I hadn't played a tournament. But before that, I went to Denver to visit a friend and there was an SCG, I think it was a Premier IQ so I brought a deck along. I just brought Burn because that was kind of my old standby. I ended up top eighting that um, and immediately losing to Chalice of the Void. But so that was actually the last Legacy tournament I played. So Burn's always kind of in my backup plan. I feel the most comfortable with it. Um, I should really expand my horizons at some point. But no, I feel I, I love that a lot actually because I I've seen a lot of like different pockets in the legacy format. So for for me like I'm a dedicated miracles player. Bryant is obviously dedicated storm pilot, and so I think this is the first time I've actually like seen someone who's just like very like uh, deeply engrossed in in the the red sorceries. So that that's that's awesome. I I, I like that a lot. Um, so you've been playing burn for a while. Uh, so coming up into this event, let's say uh. Uh, what was your preparation like? I mean, I guess now I know why you chose Burn for this event because, I mean, Legacy is a format where, you know, you you pretty much just pick what you have the most experience with. And that's that's like regardless of the positioning, I think experience is just the most important thing. Um, so then talk to me about like your your like the, the weeks leading up to the event. How did you prepare uh, for the event? How did you come across your list? That sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're right about the experience thing. I we decided to go about two months before the tournament. Um, I actually started playing Red Prison. I bought the cards on MTGO, decided I'd try to get a bunch of leagues in with that. And they were going pretty mediocre. I think I had a lot of three and twos. Um, I wasn't very excited about the deck. So I, I just would, you know, I'd play a league and then I'd just play a league with Burn just to kind of keep my interest up. So going, when, it, we, when I flew to Atlanta, um, I actually wasn't totally sure what deck I'd be playing. My my buddy, uh, he keeps our collection. He does a really good job managing it. He re-sleeved all our decks. He brought about nine decks with him, uh, including Red Prison and Burn. I'd sent him a Burn list that I liked. So when I got to Atlanta, I actually wasn't sure what I was going to play. Um, so Thursday, yeah, it was Thursday night. We were just kind of messing around on MTGO 
practicing a little bit and I decided to run a league with Burn and I put in four exquisite firecraft which I'd seen someone else do online I can't remember who but it ended up going I went 5-0 and Thursday night so that was the only practice I did um, in Atlanta before the last chance trial on Friday um, and it, it felt good it, uh, the 5-0 and I beat a couple matchups I didn't think I would um, I, I beat a rug delver matchup in that league pretty easily and that that made me you know kind of want to play burn even a little more so I went to bed Thursday night you know thinking I'd play burn in a last chance trial and you know pretty heavily set on it but seeing how Friday would go yeah for sure no did you have buys going into the event or because you mentioned you hadn't played in a lot of tournaments yeah so I didn't have any um, I played one last chance trial on Friday and I actually didn't drop a game so I, I won the two buys, um, kind of surprised myself. And once I had the buys, you know, I told my friends that night, I'm definitely going to play Burn now. I kind of feel like once you get in the winner's bracket with Burn, your matchups are more and more likely to be favorable. You you know, if I played a Belcher opponent, I was going to lose easily. So. Yeah, yeah, but you don't see any of that stuff in like a, in late in the tournament, right? So um, I'm let, 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 let's transition into that. It's a really good topic to talk about. So what... What exactly did you play against uh, in this tournament um, on your way up? So um, mostly the grinder I played in, or the last chance trial, I think they used to call them grinders. I, uh, I beat mostly Faradex, and then in the actual Grand Prix itself, I, day one I played four Delver decks. Um, I also beat Storm, Bomberman, and Food Chain day one, and... All those matchups felt really good. I was beating, before when I played Burn against Delver, it would often come down to a top deck. It'd be really close. I'd have one or two draws at a Burn spell to win it. Um, I was winning them a little easier than normal this tournament. I'd have extra Burn left in hand, or my creatures would do a lot more work. And then the Bomberman and Food Chain, those were both a little slower combos, so I had a chance. I had a little bit of disruption for um, Bomberman. And then Storm is always, it seems like a really bit bad matchup, but I, I always manage to, you know, maybe win half of those, um, maybe even a little more online because a lot of players aren't that good with it. Yeah. I mean, Eidolon and, uh, what is it, uh, Pyrostatic Pillar are both very powerful cards in that matchup. So if you can find either of those and just sit on them, you know. You I resent that comment, Ben. <laughs> um Gotcha, gotcha. So that was that was day one of the event, and then how did day two go? Day day one, I I actually didn't drop a game until round seven against Storm. Actually, um, I won the match, but so my friends were kind of giving me a hard time. I kept winning two zero, and they were just laughing at me because I was playing Burn. Um, <laughs> and I really, after that that league on Thursday night and that last chance trial on Friday, I was on you know something like a sixteen match win streak or something with Burn, and which is pretty unheard of. Yeah. Um, so my matchups day one I, th I thought were pretty good. I got pretty lucky uh, not playing against Depths. Uh, and then day two, I was pretty nervous going into it. Um, and I actually had fairly bad matchups, but my draws were a lot better. So I beat another Delver deck. Uh, I beat Sneak and Show, Storm, and Dredge. So I started 4-0 day two, and I was able to draw my last two rounds into top eight. Both of those were against Rug Delver, coincidentally. Wow, so you went undefeated in the Swiss then? No, I lost round nine um, ah. on day one, which it really put me on tilt the whole whole night. I was <laughs> I was so mad about it all night. Uh, 
I can get into that match a little later if you want. Okay, yeah, sure. But still, like finishing X one two, I think Jarvis did the same thing. He he uh, it was either X he was X one two, right? I don't remember. Yeah, he, don't him know. and I drew in round fourteen. We were the uh, only two that could draw the final two rounds. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So yeah, that's still a lock for top eight, which is super super uh, super good. Um, so then I guess looking at your deck, you know, I I'm not gonna lie, right? I don't really have much experience with burn. I only have experience getting beaten by burn. Um, what would you say is the characteristic, like ha- the hallmark of how you built this deck? So I, I guess I'm, I'm going to steal a little, little bit of your thunder. I, I noticed you said something about firecraft and you've got four of those in the deck, right? Besides that, um, let's, let's take a look at, so I know some burn players like to play like fetch lands. You've just got straight 20 lands, right? Yep. I was, I've, I've out, this is the first time I didn't play fetch lands when I played, uh, legacy tournament big or small okay with burn well what so as someone who doesn't know what is the difference between playing fetch lands and burn and not playing fetch lands and burn and do you think that's like a big decision or is it kind of like a more minute thing i mean maybe i'm just like overthinking it you know honestly i think it probably saved me a couple games this tournament um i used to like them a lot because i played for searing blaze and being able to cast those at instant speed was always a little bit of an advantage and get the full three points and then I've always kind of liked the fact that over, you know, two or three fetch lands, your library gets a little thinned out. With the four exquisite firecrafts, I didn't really want to thin my library out much. And I, I also knew there was going to be a lot of Delver. I didn't, that matchup usually comes down to racing. And okay. honestly, the thinning of the library just isn't worth the life loss. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that makes so much sense. It just feels like uh, every... Well, I mean, especially if you have like multiple uh, fetches going on, you know, two points of damage can can matter so much. So I definitely, I definitely see where you're coming from. Um, okay, now the sideboard. I'm just gonna go through it, and y- you've you've got me a little bit curious here because I've seen I'm seeing cards in here that I've just I haven't even seen really off, often in Legacy. Um, so you, first of all, you start off with the four ley lines. Uh, that makes sense. That's good. Graveyard hate. You've got dead gone. You've got two alpine moon. That's pretty cool. Uh, four smash to smithereen two sulfuric vortex one searing blood and one skewer the critics um so so enlighten me here i mean let's just start with the the craziest card in the sideboard you've got the skewer the critics right so what exactly is the purpose of this card in the sideboard so i gotta i gotta kind of go back to the main deck about that one um first of all the main deck's pretty easy because all the cards basically do the same thing that's kind of the, the trademark of burn but I really debated on the, the four price of progress main. I saw a lot of blue red Delver and then those, I don't know how to pronounce it, is it Astrolab? Yeah, Astrolab, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that card was driving me crazy online because no one was fetching duels, but they were still playing four colors. Yeah. <laughs> so I went back and forth, and ultimately I think the prices are just worth the risk. They're, you know, they're must counter spells against all the Delver decks. And I can usually still fire them off for like two points of damage when they're useless. But I knew there was going to be a lot of matchups where I had to side them out. So one of the challenges was I wanted to make sure that I had some flexible cards in my sideboard that I could just swap out for a price of progress and really not make the deck any worse. So the the one skewer of the critics was kind of the 15th card, and I just wanted it to be a flex card. Gotcha. So give me an example of a matchup where you would board out the price of progresses and like how would you board um, like against the four color snow decks like with Astrolib, would you cut the price of progresses? Depend. I played against a, a food chain player, and it was a s- snow food chain, and he was searching up basics. I played against a couple blue-red Delvers. They searched up basics. 
but most of those decks are still they're still always tempted to go get the duel right because yeah. they have both colors in their hand um so i was usually able to sneak in a price of progress for two but just to hedge i would usually side out two or three of them just because i don't want to have two of them in my hand if they're just getting basics and yeah. usually i would put in like a skewer of the critics and then either a sulfuric vortex or a searing blood depending on the number of creatures um sometimes a dead and gone if they're playing a lot of creatures gotcha, yeah that's that's really interesting actually so i mean i'm when i looked at it i was a little bit confused but the way you've explained it it just makes absolute sense here like uh the way that you're um sort of sculpting the sideboard mapping so it's it's it is really just about like having flexibility and more even more important than that i guess like applicability if that makes sense um because in general i've always thought that burn is the kind of deck that uh how do I explain this? It just has inevitability like no other deck does, right? Because you just keep drawing. If you draw your whole deck, you're going to draw like 70 points of burner or whatever that number is. And basically, it's the opponent's job to make sure you die before they before you get to do that. And so uh, you minimize those sort of options or those sort of timelines by cutting the cards that do the least amount of damage. So major props, major props. So, so this weekend then, uh, tell me about maybe like... Uh, what were some of your most memorable plays? What were the best cards in your deck? Like, in a moving forward, uh, do you think, for example, all burn decks should be playing for Firecraft? Or Exquisite Firecraft surprised me all weekend. I think I must have finished off eight or nine games against Force of Will deck um, just by getting them to four life. And sometimes I'd have to tackle a couple creatures into a blocker just to get them down to four. But um, actually, both games against Jarvis in the top eight, I my final spell was Exquisite Firecraft. Um, and in the second game, he had a, a daze, but it didn't. Um, I had spell mastery, so I wasn't able to counter it. So that card was great for me all week, and it. I thought it would really slow down my clock, but I went up to 20 mountains instead of 19. So I usually got to three uh, to three land pretty easily, and then you know it's a four damage spell, so it doesn't hurt your clock too bad. Um, the price of progress, I would say, is probably the most flexible card right now. Everything else I, I think is, um, is good for the main deck. As far as the sideboard, I think I would probably try to go up one more piece of graveyard hate. Leyland the Void used to be really good when everyone was putting in abrupt decay, um, to try to kill like Grafdigger's Cage or something. But yeah. a lot of my opponents just had answers for Leyland after sideboard anyway, so I might mix yeah. that up or even put in a fifth piece of hate. Those matchups yeah. are really tough if you don't draw something. Yeah, my uh, I know like Eric Landon, who streams a lot of Black Red Reanimator, has like a bunch of like Reverend Silences and Serenities and things like that. So you know, it just feels like everyone's prepared for Leyline. I wonder if like a combination of things like uh, uh, I don't know about Surgical, but like Fairy Macabre or you know I don't know other permanent based forms of hate would. Uh, yeah, those are the, the those are the two I was thinking of. Maybe a Tormod script, but I think I lean towards those first two. Yeah, as far as memorable plays, I I was going to write like a little uh, tournament summary or something and put it on Reddit, but I figured I'd wait. Um, if I was going to talk about it on the podcast, maybe that's just better. The I didn't have a ton of good plays. Actually, day two, my easiest matchup during the Swiss was Rug Delver, and that match came down to game three, and he was at, I think, three life, and he had made a mistake earlier, um by his own admission to to not speed up the clock by casting another creature he was trying to play around price of progress so he gave me one more draw step and then he told me to just flip it up telling me he basically didn't have a counter so i had to just straight flip a card over and hope it dealt three damage 
and it was Fire Blast, which was a, nice. basically a 50-50. And that was supposed to be my easiest match of, game, of day two, but it ended up being the closest. So that one was cool. The uh, My last match, I think it was round 13, where if I won, I knew I could draw in, was against Dredge. And we both mulliganed game two, and then I kept a hand that was great. It had double ley line of the void. So we went to, you know, pregame whatever effects, and he slams down two ley line of sanctity, and I throw down two ley line of the void. And <laughs> we just kind of looked at each other and laughed. But I think I had a, a swift spear in my hand, and he conceded a few turns later. Oh, but. That's so funny, actually. Okay. So, yeah, tell me, then, what, what happened in round nine, then? Because you mentioned that was a really uh, awkward match for you. Yeah, well, round nine, I um, it was my first match over in the feature area, and they came over before the match and said, okay, there's six of you undefeated. The three that win, stick around. We're going to do a little interview. You probably saw those on the Channel Fireball uh, yeah. Twitter account. So I was playing Hunter. Um, don't recall his last name right now. I'm going to look. Uh, Hunter Nance, yeah. Hunter yeah. Nance, yeah. Good player. And we get deck checked before the match. And so I, I kind of knew I was going to get deck checked because everyone around me was the matches before, but not a big deal. So we wait. And finally, the judge comes over and tells me he needs to talk to me. So I'm like, oh, this can't be good. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. so I go over to the judge's booth. And, you know, I, I say, is anything wrong? Is my deck list wrong? And they're like, no, no, nothing's wrong. But your your sleeves don't appear to be consistent. And I just kind of said, well, that's impossible. You know, my friend uh, re-sleeved all our decks. You know, they're all, the only thing we have are KMC sleeves. We have, like, thousands of them just sitting around. And these were all new ones. And they went on to tell me that, you know, some of them have a slightly different cut because if you don't sleeve them all with the same pack, it's essentially the same thing that happened to Bob Huang. Is it Huang? Huang, yeah, Bob Huang. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry, Bob, Bob Huang. Um, so they, were, they explained that some of them were different cuts and that wasn't legal. Now, I'd never heard of this before, so I was kind of frustrated. Um, but they said they did have like two or three judges check and they, they were able to pull out at least one playset. So they said some of my lands were, some weren't, and they pulled out a playset of Lava Spike along with a couple Singleton cards. I think it was maybe Monetary Swift Spear and something else. But, you know, and I kind of laughed and said, why would I ever put Lava Spike? It's like my 28th best card, and all my cards yeah. do the same thing. So then, you know, I kind of wanted, they basically said, you know, I told them what ha happened, how we sleeve our collection. And they said, okay, we know it's not intentional. Um, but you still have to get a game loss. And I was kind of upset. I'm like, you know, I never, my deck has no way to shuffle. My opponent gives it to me and I just draw off the top. <laughs> so there the yeah. fetch lands might have actually helped me uh, in a other way. But, but anyway, it was just, I knew I was getting a game loss after they explained it and said that multiple judges, you know, tried it to see they were miscut. So I had to buy a new pack of sleeves. They helped me resleeve it. Um, so afterwards I talked to my friend and he said he opened like, 10 of those 40 packs and was just going through all the legacy cards resleeving. So, you know, maybe he sleeved, grabbed different cards at different times or something. I don't know. He felt pretty bad. So, you know, I'm trying to keep my composure. I go back to the match. I'm down 0-1 um, against Rug Delver. I still think I can win that match. I've been doing really good against it. And I get Hunter down to, I think, 3 life, no, 6 life, and I have a Bolt and a Mountain in hand. Um, I, I get the bolt to resolve, 
and then I end up drawing four straight mountains in a row while he beats me down with an arcanist <laughs> and uh, oh, I end up losing so I was, I was super mad that I and my tiebreakers were really good because I think the guy I beat in round three went eight and one and then someone I played later went eight and one too so I was kind of mad that I, I think if I would have won I would have been in first place and undefeated but to lose two games those two ways was just super frustrating and I just all night I was just steaming mad. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, that's definitely an unfortunate circumstance. Um, we didn't actually get to talk about the whole Bob Wong thing. Like, uh, I mean, it's kind of funny, like, because Bob got straight disqualified from the event, whereas I guess you, you got a chance to breathe again. And I think that just has to do in part with uh, the fact that, you know, you you knew exactly like how the sleeving process went, which is kind of interesting, actually. I don't know. Maybe this isn't the time to talk about the exact, like, um, like the judge situation and the judge ruling and things like that. But um... I don't know. I mean, the judges were really good. They explained to me. I didn't know at the time how my friend had sleeved him. I found that out afterwards. But, the, you know, the fact that I didn't bring my own deck and they said I had a good explanation. Um, I'd, I didn't read the post that Bob made, but someone said, you know, maybe he didn't explain it right, or maybe he yeah. could have explained it differently. I don't know. I didn't know it was an it was even a a thing they checked for or that people did. So I kind of asked the judge like, in the future, what should I do? So, you know, I think the lesson is if you're doing well in the tournament, bring your deck to the judge booth and have them look through your sleeves or something just to prevent that. Yeah. I mean, it's also kind of tough because, I mean, you're playing the whole day and, like, you couldn't even notice, you know, any any sort of, like, uh, fluctuations or differences. And, like, yeah. What, what? Mm -hmm. Even at the judges' table, I couldn't, to be honest. And then, you know, they gave me some more tips, like shuffle your sideboard in periodically so that all your sleeves, you know, wear the same. Um, you know, stuff I really haven't thought about. Yeah, yeah. I know, um, like, even, like, I, I got a good look at Bob's deck as well, and his deck was just, like, I mean... From what I could tell, it looked perfectly fine. Like I wouldn't, I would, I didn't notice anything, nor would I have noticed anything unless like I had like, I knew I was looking for it. But um, even then, like I felt like a kind of a stretch. So yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that experience. That's uh, not the most fun way to 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 pick up a loss in any situation. So. So. I was I was more mad about the four mountains in a row to be okay. honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is also not a very good way to go out either. You know, uh, when you're so close and then yeah, but like the deck still, I think I feel it feels like the deck performed pretty well for you overall. I mean, like and top top four of the the GP is nothing to to uh, you know be be ashamed about. And I mean, I, I did see the match against Cyrus. It just felt like the way like as hot as you were running this weekend, it was Cyrus's weekend to run a little bit hotter. Like he had some insane like he like turn two combos and stuff like that or something like that i don't remember i actually played him in round 12 he was the last undefeated player um so i was actually the only person in the whole tournament to beat him uh, nice. so, yeah which was nice and he was uh he was great to play against really nice guy um i, I tell you, i was a little frustrated after i beat him in the swiss because he was you know a win away from being undefeated and able to draw in but actually when i shook hands with Jarvis to draw and Cyrus, you know, ran over. He was the first one to come over and congratulate me, tell me good job, congrats on top eight. And then, nice. so I was happy to play him again in the top, I think I played, yeah, top four. But yeah. he kind of, he went for it in both of our games in the Swiss at a, from a pretty low life total without the Infernal Tutor and basically chained together a bunch of blue cantrips and couldn't find it. Um, and then, yeah, in the top four, both his games were great. He played them good. 
turn one, game two, he made 18 goblins on turn one. And I think game one, he, uh, I kept the one lander with Eidolon and he had Thoughtseize, Duress, Duress. So the game kind of, he didn't win until maybe turn four or five. And, but I didn't get the second land to really put a serious clock on. Okay, yeah, that makes. I think I remember seeing that as well. Your hand was like bolt, bolt, and then like chain lightning times two or something like that. And uh, he was just like duressing and thought seizing those away. So yeah, um, makes sense, makes sense. Well, I mean, that yeah, that, that's still a very strong finish. Let me let me ask you this: What were your thoughts on the Atlanta metagame, and how would you? So I mean, moving forward, you suggested a couple changes, right? Or or you said like maybe the ley lines get adjusted. Yeah, I think I might play with the sideboard a little. I really like the main deck. The matchup against Rug felt good. I think I was 10-2 against Rug in games on the weekend. And I saw Rug Delver everywhere. I kind of wanted yeah. to avoid the whole Ren and Six game. and But I just think the fact that Rug Delver has the ability to grind now really makes a lot of people draw into it. And normally they're good players. And it's a, you know it's a deck that can win by tempoing you out on... You know, turn four or five, or it can now just wasteland lock you. So it has a couple different approaches. Yeah. Do you, Do you have any tips for the Rug Delver matchup from the burn side? My My main rule when I play against Rug Delver is don't get dazed. <laughs> I kind of view it. I kind of view the matchup as this: I want to win by turn four or five, probably turn five. So I get to see after draws probably eleven or twelve cards. Say four or five of them are going to be land or say four of them are going to be land, I, I have seven cards, and I have to resolve probably six spells to win. So I was joking with my friends, it's kind of like my deck has Storm 6, but you get the whole game to get there. <laughs> so as long as you don't get dazed, I think it's really tough for them to stop um, two or three spells because they're using Force of Will, which deals some damage to them, or they're getting rid of uh, cantrips and they can't find a, you know creatures to put a clock on you. So... I try not. I try to play around days. Rift Bolt's the best way to do that because you can cast all your spells with the mana up, and then at the end just suspend Rift Bolt, and it sticks the days in their hand. The other thing that I I try to pay attention to every match was really trying to figure out the clock, both from their side and my side. So I could usually figure out how many turns I had left to win, or how many turns I had left before they killed me, and then I would try to, if it, if all they had out was like an Arcanist, I could play a little slower. You know, try to cast Price of Progresses at the end of their turn, untap, and then cast some sorceries, kind of stretch their mana. But I think if you don't get dazed and, you know, play play aggressively, you're in pretty good shape. Sometimes I you got to be a little careful on laying the Goblin Guide if they mulligan, because they can use their extra land so well. So, so if you have an opportunity, maybe play Swift Spear first. Um... And if you kind of if they have a flip Delver, they're gonna have a quicker clock. So sometimes you have to use a burn spell on that. But as long as you can kind of always keep track on who's gonna win the race, um, yeah, I think the matchup's pretty good for you. Okay. I mean, going ten and two in games is like a very indicative sign that uh, it feels like the way that you know you're describing it, you've you've solved this matchup. Um, the results kind of show for it too. So I mean, obviously not every game will go perfectly, but. Uh, the all these sort of tips and tricks that you're suggesting burn players take note please don't use these against me though because i will i will not be happy uh <laughs> well i'll give a, a tip for the rug delver my last the matchup where i had to flip over the fire blast to win and then my match against jarvis in the top eight both of those opponents played it really good they they based i think jarvis laid a, a hex drinker and the other guy had hooting mandrels so they had 
you know, bigger creatures in their deck, and they both played very aggressively, which makes it tough on me. The minute I have to start trying to kill their creatures, I'm I'm usually in trouble. And okay. Jarvis just kept putting levels, level counters and attacking, and um, I actually had two really good hands against him, and they were both pretty close games because he played so aggressive. So. Creatures in play turned them sideways. That's probably the best strategy against I get I get that. I get that a lot. Okay, cool. Um, I think I'm out of questions for you. Um, is there anything else uh, you like? Do you have any other legacy events coming up anytime soon? You know, I don't know. I kind of have the itch. I want to get to another Grand Prix. Um, I qualified for the Players Championship in 2020. So I, I, I kind of want to play more Paper Magic. So that's going to require me to get some Grand Prix in. The, the last thing I'll say about the event is when I, when I used to play big events, I'd usually run into a lot of opponents that were... I had a lot of bad experiences with people being, you know, really mad when they lost or kind of rude during the match. But Atlanta, for some reason, it felt like everyone was just friendly and happy to be there. So maybe I just got lucky, but my opponents were great. I think at least four or five of them kept, you know, coming up to me day two, telling me good job, wishing me luck. So I really felt pretty fortunate there. And I think that's really important for the community as a whole. There's a lot of new players that that don't want to go to these events because it, it is intimidating when you sit down across someone from someone who's really experienced and they're they're also being kind of a jerk while they play. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the legacy community for being great. Uh, appreciate you. Um, but okay, yeah. Well, thanks for joining the cast. I, I got no more questions, but I've I've certainly learned a lot from you, and uh, a lot of these uh, original questions that I had have been answered very very well. So uh, very impressed and also very proud of your uh, results. So, so well done. And um, yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. And thanks for tuning in to episode 15 of the Eternal Glory podcast. Cheers. And on that note, guys, we're going to wrap it up for tonight. Uh, Brian, thanks for being here. Thanks to Jarvis and Ben for both joining us. I hope you guys were able to learn as much as we did. On that note, we'll catch you again next time. And make sure to catch Wilson at Twitch. I'll be there too. Come say hi to me. Yeah, we'll be partying. Whoa. With each other. And maybe you. All right, bye. Phil works out. Did you know that? Phil has very tiny muscles. He's fucking plated. He could probably sneeze on you and you'd like fly away. That guy's so buff, dude. Phil, do you work your neck muscles out? How do you even do that? They should have cast him for the Superman role instead of, uh... I don't give a fuck.